Do the New York Mets change the outcome of this MLB season with their fire sale? We'll discuss on today's show. You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans who are listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. On the show today, we're going to be breaking down a lot of different things. In the first segment, the MLB playoff race has a lot of Mets from this season right squarely in the mix, so I want to discuss the impact of the Mets fire sale on the rest of Major League Baseball. In the second segment, Francisco Lindor got surgery on his elbow. I want to just go through how impressive it was that he put up this season considering the circumstances. Then in the final segment, a little interesting stat I found when it comes to run value and the difference between last year's Mets and this year's Mets. So we'll get to all of it. Before we do, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter at FinkelsteinRyan. I also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor. Swing for the fences on Sleeper Picks, and you can win up to 100 times your money. Download the Sleeper app and use promo code Locked On. You'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. When you look around the playoffs right now, you'll see a lot of former Mets, whether that's Going to the Phillies and seeing Zach Wheeler, going to the Braves and seeing Travis Darno, or looking at the other three teams that are still in this race and seeing Mets that were on the team this year. The New York Mets maybe changed the course of this baseball season with their fire sale. If you look at the deadline, there was a couple teams that were aggressive sellers. There was the Mets, there was the White Sox, Cardinals, but no team sent more significant pieces out the New York Mets. And just look at the playoff field scattered across. You had, of course, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer on two playoff teams. Tommy Pham, Arizona Diamondbacks, a playoff team. Mark Canna on a playoff team. Also had David Robertson on a playoff team, albeit one that he did not pitch too well for in the Marlins, but the impact was felt. Now we're down to five teams left. There's the Braves and Phillies matchup that still yet to be decided. The Phillies took a commanding 2-1 to lead with the home game and a chance to clinch uh, and, and knock out the, the Braves yet again on Thursday. Then you have the other three series that were decided. The Orioles got swept by the Rangers. The Diamondbacks swept the Dodgers. And the Astros won in four games against the Twins, which sets up the matchup that we all thought might happen back at the, you know, beginning of August, but there's no way we knew for sure that this would be the final outcome because at the time there were still so many teams in the race, right? You still had the Mariners in the AL West. You still had all of those teams, in the AL East that failed to win a single playoff game. And you had the twins. And yet here we are a grudge match of the two guys that were former frenemies with the, with the Detroit Tigers. You know, they were, on some good teams together, there was a split. 
They both went on to have uh, you know, Hall of Fame careers. They reunited the Mets and everything was supposed to be good. And that was the ace duo that was supposed to lead the Mets to the promised land this season. And it was a absolute dumpster fire. And so at the trade deadline, Max Scherzer has a conversation with the Mets brass and finds out they're not trying to win in 2024. Still love that. Uh, they're trying to win. They just said what they had to get Max out of town, traded him. And then when Max was gone, it was like, all right, we're going to lean all the way into this fire sale. We are going to trade these two pitchers. We're going to capitalize on a window to essentially sell stocks, right? This is what Steve Cohen does. He is an investor. And he knew that the long-term value that he could get by selling high on those two aces at the deadline where there was a market inefficiency, where there wasn't a lot available to teams that if they wanted aces of this caliber, they'd have to pay a heavy prospect premium. He took advantage and sent these two guys out. Now they face off in the ALCS and you look at their impact and obviously Max Scherzer has been hurt. So he hasn't been part of this run, but the funny thing is now he can be because it seems like he's going to return from his injury to pitch in the ALCS. He had a uh, injury that's very familiar to Justin Verlander's the same one that cost him the beginning of the season with the Mets. It's a strain of the major terrace muscle, which is something that I feel like we've never heard of until this season with these two guys pitching. But, hey, that's what happens when you get to your late 30s, early 40s. These guys both had the injury. For Scherzer, happens at the end of the year. He made eight starts with the Rangers, pitched with 3.2 ERA, strains that muscle, thought the season was done. Now he's going to pitch a sim game, or apparently he did pitch a sim game today and could be in line to pitch as soon as go game two of the next series. Although I think the Rangers are going to stick with Jordan Montgomery and Nathan Avaldi in the first two games and you know maybe go to Scherzer for game three, which could mean he starts at game seven if this series eventually goes the distance. Then you have the other side of it, and this is the one that's the bigger impact, and this is where I think the New York Mets could have changed the course of this season and allowed the Houston Astros to become back-to-back champions. Now, a lot still has to happen. That Rangers team is legit. Their offense is unbelievable. It's not going to be easy to beat them. But the Astros have had the Rangers number all season. There's a lot that plays into this matchup. Last time the Texas Rangers won the American League West, it was 2016. Since then, the Astros have won seven straight division titles in full 162-game seasons, the lone exception being, of course, that 2020 year. And... Actually, excuse me. They've won six straight divisions. Correction. Got got the, the dominance confused in my head. They've been to seven straight ALCSs. I just remembered, despite the fact that they did not have a good season in 2020, they still went to the ALCS. So, seven straight years where the Astros have been in this game, um, in this series, and they've been to the World Series four times of the previous six now have a chance to make it five times in seven years. It's an absolute dynasty. And Justin Verlander has been part of it. And he was removed from it when Steve Cohen paid him 86 plus million dollars for two years. And then he graciously sent him right back to Houston in exchange for Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford, a trade that ultimately is going to work out great for the Mets, I believe. But for the Astros, where would they be without Justin Verlander? Would they still be in this position? Maybe, but they certainly wouldn't be as you know, tough to beat in the playoffs because Justin Verlander, in his one playoff start so far, put up six scoreless in game one to set the tone of that series against the Twins. 
got that first victory and allowed Framber Valdez and Christian Javier to fall in line behind him in that rotation. Otherwise, those two guys are starting game one and game two. And while Javier pitched great against the Twins, he had some shadows uh, on his side, but still overall was throwing the ball great. You know, he didn't throughout the year in the number two role, having to now be settled into the three spot. Maybe that also, you know, gave him some comfort. Maybe he's just a dog in the postseason. Regardless, the Astros have you know, three starters that they can trust now going into this series. The Rangers, if Scherzer is healthy, theoretically have three stars they can trust. It's a lot to ask to come off of an injury right into a championship series, but that's what Scherzer's going to try to do. Justin Verlander, though, you watch after they, they clinch tonight, and he's in that locker room with those guys, and he's giving a speech about you know, not to take it for granted how unbelievable it is that they've you know done this seven years in a row. Dropped plenty of f bombs in that speech, and part of it was he said I wasn't even bleeping here this year. And luckily, he's back. He's happy to be back, and honestly, good for Verlander. Uh, you know, he's been I think as much of an impact on the mound, a calming force in, in that clubhouse that allowed them to get back into the race. And not that they were out of the playoff mix, but to go from the deadline where they were behind the Rangers and sneak up in time and win on a tiebreaker and take that division. He helps win a big start against Max Scherzer in the second half. And in the final two starts of the regular season, he put up eight innings of one run ball against the Mariners to win a pivotal game. And then against the Diamondbacks in the final series of the season, pitched five scoreless in a win, putting them in position to take that division title. And now again, He's set to pitch game one against the Rangers and then likely a game five. So it is crazy to see how the fire sale and, and the trade-off of those two aces in particular has resulted in a matchup of them in the LCS. And on top of that, just a footnote in it all, Tommy Pham is still in the mix. He's playing for a Diamondbacks team that has not lost in the playoffs so far. And he has 50 games with them down the stretch to help them. So clinch one of the wild card spots. He had 32 RBIs, so he was still very productive. He's playing every game, you know, starting for this Diamondbacks team in the playoffs. And he had a massive game one uh, against the Dodgers in the NLDS, where he had four hits, scored three runs, and hit a home run. So uh, a key component in that first victory in the the sweep against uh, a Dodgers team that has to be reeling right now. They just can't figure it out. Uh, maybe it's the new format. More likely, it's the fact that they didn't, you know, set themselves up with enough pitching. But again, that's a story for another day. You could probably catch that on Locked On Dodgers. But overall, in this playoff run, Tommy Pham's hit 318. And Mark Hanna again mentioned that he was part of another playoff run. The Brewers don't cruise to that division title without Canna. So it, it really is remarkable to see how much the New York Mets impacted this race. Would have been great to see them do it by, you know, being a good baseball team, being in the mix. But they sold, and they sold pieces that performed. I mean, all of those guys. Scherzer, before he got hurt, was performing. Verlander, huge part of why the Astros are there. Tommy Pham, big part of why the Diamondbacks are there. Mark Canna performed. So all those players they sent out have had a big impact on this playoff race. It'll be interesting which of those trades is looked back on fondly and which ultimately is seen as a disaster for the teams that traded those players. The Astros don't win a World Series in the next two years and Drew Gilbert becomes a superstar, maybe they will live to regret it. The Rangers don't win the next two years. Same thing with Scherzer. 
if you know the Diamondbacks end up coming up short and that guy that they trade to the Mets, the you know teenager, if he ends up being something, it turns on into like a Jordan Alvarez situation or a Fernando Tatis Jr. situation, which kind of unlikely, but you never know. Maybe they'll live to regret it. And then the same thing with, uh, I think it was Justin Jarvis that the Brewers sent over to the Mets uh, for Canna. We'll see. But but ultimately, the Mets did the right thing. And in doing the right thing with a high-priced team that they were selling off of, they made waves in Major League Baseball. Anyway, in the next segment, I want to talk about Francisco Lindor, who just got surgery on his elbow. Crazy. He played through it all year. We'll discuss it in a minute. First, though, today's episode is brought to you by Sleeper. The MLB playoffs are here, but that does not mean that you can't still go to Sleeper for your daily fantasy fun. You got football. You got basketball. Sleeper is the place where you can pick more or less on stats for stars and end up with a payout of 100 times on Sleeper. Get your picks right. You can win big. There's built-in group chat functionality where you can see and copy your group's picks with the tap of a button. So going into Sunday, your friends can get together. You can decide who's going to score that touchdown, who's going to get the over on a certain amount of rushing yards, who might get a sack, combine it all, and you can win big. Entries can be made in 30 seconds or less. It's that easy. They're safe and fast withdrawals. Use promo code Locked On. You'll get up to $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. Francisco Lindor had surgery. I don't know if it was today or the match just announced it today. Regardless, he had surgery to remove a bone spur in his elbow, which he was playing through all season. I've said it on this show many a times, but I will say it again. Can we put some damn respect on Francisco Lindor's name? I know that a lot of Mets fans have finally come around. And so I might be just speaking to a sparse minority, but I'll tell you what process that information. Look back at the season. This guy just had and tell me why you aren't happy with him being the face of your franchise, because Francisco Lindor has done everything you could have asked for in three seasons with the New York Mets. He really has. He's put up two, six win seasons. He was worth six wins above replacement this year. He hit 31 home runs. He stole 31 bases. He played great defense with a bum elbow. It was his throwing elbow. And still just found a way to be incredibly effective at shortstop. In the running to win a gold glove, for some reason, I don't think he gets the love he deserves. And honestly, looking at some of the defensive stats, I'm seeing seven defensive runs saved, six outs above average. That's probably not gold glove worthy. It's certainly not his 2021 season where he had a whopping 21 outs above average and did not win the gold glove. Still thought that that was ridiculous. But, you know, to to go and play with an injury like that all year, it's unbelievable how effective he was. And we didn't hear anything about it. There was never, oh, you know, he's playing through something, but hey, you know, you give him credit. Like, he, he did not let anyone know it, it was held secret that this guy was feeling this in spring training. And he just went out and put up one of the best seasons of his career. 
I mean, he has now had, because he's a completely underrated player by Mets fans, what people don't realize is he's had a remarkable career, and he's had now four six-win seasons. One was French, where change that. Four actual six-win seasons, one that was close, a 5.8-win season. So, so look at his career. 2017, hits 33 home runs. Uh, he put up a 6.1 F4. 2018, his career best year, hit 38 home runs, uh, scored 129, stole 25 bags. He had a 132 weighted runs created plus, was nearly an eight-win season, 7.8 F4. Next year, 5.8 F4. In the last two years with the Mets, 6.6 and 6. This guy is as consistent as they come, and we, we always reference the durability factor. A guy that goes up and, and posts up, as he would say, day in, day out to play for his team, who's getting paid $34.1 million. And you know what? In some respects, he's underpaid because if you look at the surplus value that he's providing based on fan graphs, war to dollar amount metric he's been worth you know like 50 million dollars the last two seasons not that he would get paid that but the point is he just played 160 games with a bum elbow 160 games he missed two games all year last year played 161 games so in the last two seasons he has missed three baseball games for the new york mets and in those two seasons he messed up his finger in a hotel door and missed the one game for it and played with a bone spur in his elbow an entire season. That shows you the heart, the determination. A guy could have just sat back on his money, right? He's got a long-term deal. No reason to, to go through the discomfort. Could have gotten surgery on that elbow in spring training and I don't know. You know, made it back in the middle of the year, maybe closer to the end of the year. I don't know exactly how long it would have taken to recover. They're saying he's going to be good to go for next spring training. So that is the positive side of this thing for sure. But again, guess the news, plays through it, and doesn't complain once and puts up a just ridiculously good season, especially great now under the circumstances. So if he starts off next season and it's April and he's hitting 215 and he's got three home runs, I really hope Mets fans aren't just booing him mercilessly. They probably will. But at a certain point, you have to appreciate your star players and what they do for your franchise. And, and knowing this information now and looking back on the year he had and also – I mean, think about the fact that he finished off the season too, mind you. Like, when the Mets folded up shop in August, he certainly could have gone down. But he's committed to, to his teammates, committed to the ball club, put up a 30-30 season for the first time in his career, all with one elbow that was probably killing him all season. Yeah, that's something that you can play through. Don't, don't get me wrong. I know I'm making him out to be a hero, and a lot of you say, hey, I would love to get paid $34 million and, and deal with a little bit of arm pain. But it's not like he's playing first base. He's playing shortstop. And no matter how much treatment he got on that thing throughout the year, when he 
ranged out into the hole and had to make a throw to, to get a player first. You don't think that that hurt a little bit with a bone spur in his elbow, but the guy just did what he had to do. And uh, it's a shame that his efforts were wasted as far as the Mets not going anywhere. But I think moving forward, it shows you the type of character that he has and uh, the fact that he is a, a player that you really can count on on this contract that he signed with the Mets. And I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of it. I really am. I think that's if you're, you're looking at the franchise right now and you look position by position where you have questions, the place where you have the least amount of questions right now is that shortstop. So. Uh, let's also talk about the run value he brought to the Mets. We're going to go through that next. A new stat. Well, not necessarily a new stat, but a stat that's getting more focus uh, with baseball savant that really does illuminate how bad the Mets were offensively this year. So I want to go through that next. Before we do, today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Modern medical care and treatment are important, but our global supply chains are fragile. Things like pandemics, natural disasters, and foreign travel – may cut you off from the treatment you need. Jace Medical is your solution. Just fill out their online form and one of their board-certified physicians will review it to determine whether medications are safe and appropriate. Then, they send your prescriptions to one of their partner pharmacies where your Jace order will be filled and mailed directly to your home. Not only this, you can send your physician a message for answers to treatment-related questions anytime. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. That's why Jace Medical offers the Jace case. Save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical Plus, an additional $20 off by using the promo code Locked On at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's jacemedical, J-A-S-E, medical.com. Now, yesterday, when I was doing the Brett Beatty episode, I was going over some research at Baseball Savant, and I stumbled on run value, which is something that I've discussed in the show before, but is really being spotlighted when you go to each player's individual Savant page. And what I did was I then looked at the run value of all the Mets players and what they did last year compared to this year, and I actually sent it to our subtext, which is a really fun uh, new web and interacting with the audience. If you want to join, you can find a link in the description of today's show. Essentially, subtext is a way that I can send you text updates. When I find a cool stat, I might send it out to the subtext. You can ask me questions anytime. If you want follow-ups, I want to send you. Just have a question. And I can answer it. It's a two-week free trial. Then it's $4.99 a month. I do appreciate all of you uh, that join. And, and so I, I sent out this stat about run value. And if you're not aware what run value is, it is the run impact of an event based on the runners on base, outs, ball, and strike count. And really, I think in the simplest terms, over the course of a season, a player's run value is what they're adding to your team, right? So you look at, okay, the and it does go for individual pitches, right? But there is a composite that you can now find at Baseball Savant and it's, of course, ranked like everything else there uh, across the league. So there's percentile rankings. For example, Matt Olson and Freddie Freeman. This actually comes back to the subtext. Somebody asked me a follow-up 
what's Matt Olson and Freddie Freeman's run value trying to compare it to Pete Alonso's. And this year, those two players who were MVP candidates, their run value was 64. Okay, so that means they added 64 runs of value to their club, which is a remarkable stat. Pete Alonso, for comparison this year, put up 19 when it came to his run value. But when you look at last year's team to this year's team, what you notice is that last year's team was a really effective offense. And run value, while it's partially due to player performance, it also is a stat that is based on the events. So some of you might not like some of these advanced metrics, right? Because they don't necessarily tell you anything as far as what happened. It's what was maybe expected to happen. This is more based on what actually happened. So when you have a great offense, this is what you'll find. Francisco Lindor's run value in 2022 was 27. This year it was 14. Still a good player, but his run value is nearly cut in half because the team around him wasn't nearly as good. So, yeah, he might have hit a home run, but last year there was two guys on base. This year was a solo shot. That's going to change the run value. Pete Alonso last year had a run value of plus 33. This year it was 19. See, again, there was drop-off. Now, part of that was due to Alonzo's performance, but also it was partially due to the circumstances he was put in with the roster that was around him. Brandon Nimmo, 2022. You could actually make an argument that his season this year was better than last year, yet his run value in 2022 was plus 28. This year it was uh, plus 20, which was the best mark on the team, actually. Jeff McNeil, this was a big one to look at. 2022, when he was a batting champ, his run value was plus 24. This year, Gusek, zero. Didn't provide any value to the New York Mets offensively. And I'm pretty sure, let me look this up and make sure I'm not talking at school. I think his weighted run creative plus, which again, measure setters based on a league average of 100. I think that was 102. Yeah, it was. So again, he hit 270. He had 100 WRC plus. His OPS was 7, 11, and you know, I think league average this year might have been around there. So, yeah, he was just a replacement level bat this season. Um, you look at Starling Marte, drastic drop off, went from plus 19 in 2022 to minus 13 in 2023. And then Marcana was plus 26 in 2022 and just plus nine this year. And of course, some of those you know, positive run value came with the Brewers. Combine it all, right? That's including, you know, a little bit of extra that Canada might have delivered as a brewer this year. The run value for the combination of Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, Brandon Nimmo, Jeff McNeil, Starling Marte, and Mark Canna, which was the core of your team that won 101 games in 2022. This season, their run value altogether was plus 49. Remember, last year, just looking specifically at Alonso and Lindor, they were plus 60. All of them combined in 2022 when you had a a high-functioning offense that was past the baton and everyone was thriving. We had a batting champion in Jeff McNeil, an all-star in Starling Marte, Mark Hanna getting on base uh, at a great clip, Lindor and Alonzo driving in runs, Brandon Nimmo setting the table. That team, that combination of those six players, their run value was 157. So... You know, you might look at the final total of the Mets this year and how many runs they scored compared to last year, and it wasn't drastic. I think last year was in 
the 770 somewhere. And I think this year was like 717 runs. So there was a drop off and not a significant one, I guess, just simply on run score. But when you actually, you know, kind of peel back the, the, the you know, numbers a little bit and really look under the surface and try to see what happened. Yeah. It was an offense that was about a quarter of the production level as it was the year prior to just overall functioning at a way less capacity as it did at its heights. And so moving forward, how do you correct that? And that's not even accounting for guys like Brett Beatty. I should also add in there because I mentioned this on yesterday's show, but it's worth bringing up again. Brett Beatty's run value this season was minus 18. Uh, let's see what Mark Vientos is, is, was. I'm sure it wasn't great. Um, trying to pull Vientos up, but you know, it, it's the difference between the team last year and this year is, you know, last year you weren't giving away at bats. And this season, there was a lot of guys when you had Spelling Marte and Jeff McNeil struggling for great stretches, they're just giving away at bats. It just doesn't work as well. Yeah. Mark Vientos minus 12. So minus 30 with those two rookies that got a, a pretty decent amount of run. They're going to need those guys who will be in roles next year to step up, and they're going to need Jeff McNeil and Starlin Marte in particular to get back to being positive value players. Because if you look still at what Nimmo, uh, you know, Lindor, and Alonzo put up, they were still above average offensive pieces. It was everything else around those three they let the Mets down this season, along with, of course, the pitching, which is a story for another day, that put them in the position to be sitting on the sidelines in October while some of the players that were supposed to be key contributors to a playoff run for the Mets have been key contributors elsewhere. Anyway, that's going to be all for today's show. For all you everydayers, I uh, believe tomorrow we will get into a Francisco Alvarez episode, the one I promised today, but so much happened that I wanted to get to the more timely news We'll break down Alvarez this season tomorrow. Make sure you join our uh, subtext. Follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Hit subscribe on YouTube. Follow me on Twitter, Ficklestein Ryan. Follow the show, Locked on Mets.